Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Big opinions, the panel. Lavina Good with us this morning. Jordan Oppert as well. So uh, a fired up all female panel to, to uh, get stuck into some of these issues today. And uh, Lavina, I might just begin with you because it's been an underwhelming start to the Ashes uh, for England. Uh, we had uh, those of us that don't want Australia to win had high expectations and uh, squashed right from the very first damn ball. Yeah, good morning, Smitty. Hey, Jordan, nice to speak to you. I'm a massive cricket fan. I do, I do love my Ashes, not going to lie. I've nearly uh, divorced my husband twice. Once was because he fell asleep at the Ashes in Edgbaston, and the other time was because he was vacuuming during a Boxing Day test. So, you know, that has always been a tentative <laughs> moment in our relationship. So I bloody look forward to the Ashes more than anyone. But what cracked me up was John Lewis coming out, his bowling coach for the Poms, and saying, we did pretty good, we didn't do too bad, we did okay. And I'm like, John, boy, you got rocks in your head, buddy. <laughs> Honestly, what are you thinking? To let Travis Head get that you know, record-breaking century top three fastest in the history of the game and not put any pressure on him is, is just ridiculous. They made a really bad choice to bring in Jack Leach. And not that I don't like him as a player, Smitty. I actually do think he can turn the ball well. But it's a five-finger pitch, and they should have known it. Mm. And they kind, kind of mm. panicked a bit, you know, and they thought, hey, you know, th- things are going to happen and we need to bring in a bowler. But they made the wrong choice there. Um, I know they miss Stokes, I know they miss his pace and his bounce, but seriously, to bring in Jack Leach as a replacement for him, they're going to suffer for it. And what they need to do is come out and and skip the the cucumber sandwiches for this morning, eh, Tom? They need to come out and get a few wickets, dust themselves off, and say we need to get these wickets really quick for Australia, and we need to have some batsmen come out and show us how to bat, because they're meant to be able to bat, Smitty. They're meant to be able to bat. Supposedly so, uh, Lavina Jordan. I, I suppose, uh, well, I hope you've been able to cast your uh, your evil eye over uh, a little bit of cricket during your busy social life. What have you made of the start to the Ashes? Well, yeah, yesterday was actually an RDO. What a day for it as well. So, yeah, perched up on the couch watching that. I mean, yeah, I kind of um, good morning, Lavina as well. I'm kind of following what you said as well. I mean, England will be searching France for today. That. Uh, fielding and bowling performance wasn't flash at all. I mean, you know, missed opportunities, drop catches. I mean, those back bends, no ball over where he could have just missed Warner. Uh, it kind of just set the tone for what was a bit of the lackluster day, to be honest, out in the field for them. I mean, they've got England do have a couple of Miggles and Ollie Robinson and Ben Stokes. I'm sure they'll be hoping those aren't, aren't too bad, but yeah. Echoing what Lavina said, really, they need to come out today firing and um, <laughs> give it a good shot because at the moment it's looking a bit bleak. 
It's looking more than bleak, I can promise you that. What worried me is just how spent they looked. Uh, and that's only the first day in the sun in Australia, so uh, that, that was a worrying sign for me. Uh, the good news for you, though, uh, Jordan, is that the Black Caps are quarantining in Christchurch, so at some point you might be able to get a camera around Ajaz Purcell. We just talked to him this morning. What an amazing performance. What a lovely guy to go with it. Oh, God, he is so lovely, isn't he? He's one of the nicest guys. I did an interview with him um, not that long ago about his Muslim background. It was in relation to something around the Christchurch mosque shootings. And the way he spoke, I was just in awe of, like, what, you know, how, the, the, the lengths he goes to playing cricket during Ramadan, um, the, the family aspect. And I think, for me, that's what makes this King with himself so special is the circumstances he did it in back home in Mumbai. I mean, I just don't think it's better. The man deserves every accolade he can get. And in regards to Chateau, the amount of times I've perched up there outside and people must think, who the hell is she and what the hell is she doing? Because I'm always on the blooming corner of that street trying to shoot to see what we can get in there with every sport team quarantining there. Everyone must just be like, what is she doing? So, um, no, I'm sure I'll catch up with a couple of them over Zoom over the next seven days and then they're out. How good? Uh, here's, a, uh, here's a text for you, Lavina Good. It's just come from, from Sean. Lavina Good's husband can't win. Threatening divorce when he does the vacuuming. Now, that's a first. That's coming from Sean. Yeah. It's bloody rude, eh, Sean? Appreciate this, mate. It's a Boxing Day test. You've looked forward to it for all the year. You've talked to your partner about it all year. You're sitting there watching cricket. You're having a pint in front of you, a hazy IPA if you're lucky, and then all of a sudden someone starts vacuuming around you as you're watching. It's bloody rude, mate. Bloody rude. On the back of 10 years earlier, falling asleep at Edgbaston, watching Day 4 Means War with Mark Moore and Steve Waugh coming into bowl and bat for the Aussies, it's rude. You can't get away with stuff like that, mate. You just can't get away with it. You must appreciate it, Sean. Come on now. Come on now. Uh, I've got, Levine. I've got this horrible vision in my mind of, of what your husband might be wearing as he's doing this, and just just tell me he's, oh. he's, he's not... <laughs> He wasn't, it wasn't, I want to break free. Don't worry about that. He didn't have an apron on or anything like that. He was just hoovering, mate. He's a Virgo. He's a clean freak and he doesn't like his cricket. (laughs) (laughs) If he doesn't like his cricket, he won't appreciate Ajaz Patel's effort, but I'll bet you did. I did. And look, Jordan, I don't know about you, but I've got some mates that I'm really close to that don't like cricket at all. I've got a couple of mates that do the whole, I love 2020. I'm like, sweet, as you like baseball, good, just good to see. But I love test cricket, and I've always been addicted to it. So I was trying to describe to a couple of my girlfriends the feat and the achievement of it. And when I finished describing it, they looked at me and went, are you taking the piss? Like, are you telling the truth? Did this dude really get 10 wickets? It's like a Hollywood script come true. And the fact that he went back to his country to do it, a country he left at eight years of age. And the way I described it to them, like I, I was one of a few people that actually stayed up late to watch it live. And like every wicket that went and every wicket that dropped, it was like winning lotto. It was like circling a number on your lotto, circling your number on your lotto. And then in the end, to take the 10th wicket, it's, for me, I was saying to my mate, it's a comparison of winning a world title or a world championship title in an individual event. And it was an individual event, if you think about it, because in the end, the Black Caps didn't do anything to help him out when it came to winning the actual test series, which would have been lovely. But when I talked to my friends, I said to them, it's such a feat. It's something that should be held in high accolade for a very, very long time. And I think they finally got it. It was sensational, remarkable. It had everything that sport needed, which was drama, excitement, commitment, determination, and such a humble man as well. It's just awesome. Uh, hey, Lavina. 
quite the opposite is um, the ongoing saga of where, when, how uh, the America's Cup um, played out another uh, little chat the last night at the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron when they had uh, their annual general meeting. So uh, where, do, where does it sit for you? I mean, are you over it? Are you angry with it? Do you really care? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, every time I speak to you, Smitty, I get into a bit of trouble. I'm not a liar, right? I, I say things that oh. not everyone agrees with. I, I'm going to speak from the heart because this is an opportunity I get to, to do on the show. But I, I've always found um, the America's Cup and also... Um, sailing in general to be quite an elitist sport in New Zealand. I like a sport where kids can go outside and um, participate in a sport that doesn't cost a whole lot of money and they get an opportunity to do it. And I've always found in New Zealand and Australia with sailing, you have to have a bit of coin to get kids involved in sailing and support them with a P class. So in terms of that, it's never been something that's resonated with me as my favourite sporting event of the year. I do love watching Team New Zealand. I support Team New Zealand and it's sexually exciting when they win. But when it comes down to a campaign where they need $200 million and if the government can't come up with all of that money, if they have to go offshore to find that, to hold that event, it just tells me once again it's a a very much a money-driven sport. So I'm not encapsulated by what's happening. I'm not part of the team that want to have it held in New Zealand because I know that's going to cost a whole lot of money and that money could probably go somewhere else. If it was held in New Zealand, it would be great for the economy, and that's something that I would definitely support. But in terms of it going offshore to get more money from Spain, Ireland, or Saudi Arabia to try and raise that 200 million bucks, it's something that I, I guess concerns me. I'm a massive rugby league fan, and I've watched for a very long time the South Auckland rugby league fans turn up to a stadium that's looking pretty tatty and pretty ugly, could do with a few million dollars and making it a better venue for rugby league in this country. And then that doesn't happen, and I watch the government give tens of millions of dollars to a sailing campaign that really only supports a few people in the country. So, no, I can't say that um, I'm too invested when it comes to the decision and the discussion of where the America's Cup will be held. Well, Jordan, you, of course, got your finger on the pulse of uh, all sporting issues and opinion down there in the South Island. Do they give a rat's proverbial down there? Well, I guess this is the thing, right? And I kind of, again, look, I mean, you're just nailing this today. I mean, I'm happy just to leave you guys if you like, because you are killing this with both of us. But I mean, my, <laughs> <Jordan>. point <for> this, <laughs> my point for this is along the same lines, that if you're wanting to get buy-in from those people who do believe it's an elite sport and, you know, money, this, this fact is not helping. I mean, I feel like it's tainting it at the moment. I mean, people down here, I'm not sure that they really care, to be honest. I mean, I'm sure there will be some who do, would head up there in their slow fillers, but... I mean, the bulk of them don't. I mean, we'll be happy just to get the Blum and Sale GP to finally go ahead at Littleton. I mean, we built half the facilities and then we got canned at the last minute. So let's just crack on with that. And I think as well, I don't know about you guys, but watching media opportunities around the Sale GP the other day, even Blair Truk and Peter Burling seem more firm for the Sale GP than they do about the America's Cup. So it shows that I think kind of everyone is sort of a bit like, hmm, okay, a bit over this now. Because every couple of days there seems to be a new development, development in quotations there, because it seems like a hell of a lot of talking with not a lot much walking, and it's not very relatable to the bulk of Kiwis, I don't think. And this year was a flop economically, but I think that's, I mean, was it this year or last year? Jeez, it's gone quick. Last year. This year. Okay. Anyway, uh, look, it was a bit of a flop, but yeah. COVID had something to do with that, whereas I guess going yeah. forward it would have a better economic boost because... But I don't know if it's enough. No, nah, I'm not quite... I don't even think that's uh, a factor in, in what Mr Dalton's thinking, uh, to be perfectly honest. Uh, 
Let's uh, let's go to a, a sort of a good news, bad news story. Great year for the women's sevens team, of course. But um, Jordan, when it came to recognising uh, um, Sarah Hurney, uh, she missed the boat. She couldn't become the the player of the year, which uh, is a little bit surprising. Yeah, it is surprising actually, and it's a real shame. Like she led the Tokyo sevens to gold in Tokyo. Obviously, that's one thing. But for me, with Sarah, it's the way she conducts herself off the field. I don't believe there's another leader quite like her. You know, she's world-class. Her leadership, the way she can unify a group, you know, to work towards these common goals, these major sporting accolades. The sheer manner and respect is probably another thing for me. Like, I don't know if there's anyone who demands yet deserves that as much as Sarah. But I read up about the woman who did win from France. She's the first French player to be not nominated and single-handedly got them into the finals in Tokyo. So, I mean, it's not taking anything away from her, but I feel like Sarah is truly our golden girl, and it's such a shame that she, she was robbed of that title. It is, actually. Um, I, I, I kind of thought the, they might get something for that. Lavina, what do you reckon? This French girl, Anne-Cécile Siofani, is absolutely more fantastic, to be fair. I've watched her play for a few years, and she is amazing. She only started playing at 18. I think she's just short of six foot tall. And I've heard my good old mate Ricky Jane call her name on several occasions, not just throughout the Olympics, when she managed to score tries playing for France. So both her parents were Olympians. Her dad, I think, was a hammer thrower and a shot putter. So I don't want to be that Kiwi that takes it away from her. But the reason I have an issue with um, Sada Hidani not winning is that she's my mate. She lives here in Toronga. I run a lot of charitable events here. And she's the first superstar in the region. When you're looking for a big name to come and support an event, she puts her hand up and comes and support it. And I think as a player, Jordan, she's, she's polar opposite to um, Siafini, who's that, you know, sensational tall, can't be tackled, you know, really kind of a show pony kind of player out wide. Whereas you described um, Hedoni perfectly. She's a leader like no one else. She's got a remarkable ability to demand attention and earn respect without being a show pony or showing off. And I think for that alone, that makes her the best rugby player in the world. Not the fact that she won a gold medal at the Olympics, but her leadership and her ability to pull a team together to come back from adversity after losing against Australia four years earlier, to have a new coach within the team, a new fitness uh, manager in the team, and to bring that team together, it, it makes her... And I don't always like to compare her to Richie McCaw, but the Richie McCaw of the rugby world, because she has everything. Commitment, determination, a tremendous player, great skills, phenomenal leadership. And if I was on the panel... Regardless of how good this Cecilia Siofani plays, and she's an outstanding player, keep an eye out for her in the future, I would pick an overall best rugby player internationally, and that's definitely Sarah Hedoni. Okay, that's great. Well, uh, I'll leave you um, on this panel, uh, and and, uh, with this particular thought in mind, uh, Lavina, could you please tell me your New Zealand team of the year and your New Zealand sporting individual of the year? Yeah, Noah Halberg always chucks a couple in there individually. I mean, well, I was in um, lockdown with Lisa Carrington and I'm like, wow, her name's been on the list three, four years in a row and it's going to be on the list again because she's just phenomenal and what she achieved for New Zealand is great, great, great. But um, as I just mentioned, there's more involved for me to pick the best in the world and for someone that you regard as being held in high accolade. And on the back of um, Hedoni not um, winning uh, the World Rugby Player of the Year, I'd like to pick her as sports person of the year. But if it can't, comes to a team, I'd pick the women's 
women's rugby sevens team. Just because they've united, um, they've shown that when you centralise the team committee, when you get all the players not pocketed all over New Zealand, when you bring them into one area, one region, one whānau, one team, then you can achieve just about anything with the support of a country and also resources and the support from um, a government that's willing to put money into it. So I'm a, a big fan of the Women's Rugby Sevens for that. Individual of the Year, look, you know, when was the last time a cricketer won it? I think it must have been a few years ago. I would say Kane Williamson probably took Sportsman of the Year maybe three or four years ago. I'm going to go hey, Jazz. I'm going to go Mr Patel because that resonated with me so much. And uh, there won't be another opportunity for him to be in the limelight like that, to beat India on your own in India, to come from India and do it. I'm going to go, Ajaz is my man, and in terms of team of the year, I'm definitely going to go with the women's rugby sevens. Fantastic. And for you, Jordan? Okay, so Halberd sports person, I'm going to go with either the goat in the boat, Lisa Carrington, most decorated of all time, four medals in Tokyo, three gold, chopped the whole nation with a cleaned-up Seaview waterway. It should be renamed Carrington's waterway. Going with Carrington for that one. In terms of team of the year, for me, it's the men's rowing eight. Um, I mean... I don't know, just for me, history after Munich in 72, I mean, that final 500 will stick with me for God knows how long when they went past Great Britain, the current world champs and Olympic champs. Also, knowing firsthand the, the um, how do you call it, the impact it's already had on the sport going forward, and that would come down to all of our rowing teams. But the sport's just had a massive spike in New Zealand in the last, well, for this summer anyway. They're like, you know, teams are... There's record numbers in school, stuff like that. I think if you're going by the sheer impact and also just a sporting moment for me, that means eight was something else. Ladies, um, thank you very much for your input this morning. Been absolutely fantastic. Uh, enjoy the silence of uh, Boxing Day this coming year, uh, Lavina. I hope you have a, a great <laughs> Christmas and you too, Jordan. <laughs> and, and a great New Year as well. Thanks for your, your contribution. It's been uh, wonderful.